It's the Progress Pod, a production of the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. I'm Pete Mazzoni. America is the richest nation in the world. Yet more than 15% of our population lives in poverty, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. For many of us, poverty can seem like a hidden thing. But here in Franklin County, the epidemic is real, and it's everywhere. While our area's numbers fall slightly below the national average, nearly 12% of us and our neighbors are living at or under the poverty line. The effects of poverty reach far and wide in society, including into generations to come. Poverty can be particularly devastating to children. National Institutes of Health Studies tell us that children who live below the poverty line for multiple years appear, all other things being equal, to suffer the worst outcomes. The timing of poverty also seems to be important for certain child outcomes. Children who experience poverty during their preschool and early school years have lower rates of school completion than children and adolescents who experience poverty only in later years. Here in central Pennsylvania, there's a source of hope for those who find themselves trapped in this vicious cycle. It comes in the form of SCAP, the South Central Community Action Programs, an organization working to empower those willing to work hard and make real changes in their lives. With us today, we have Megan Shree, the CEO of SCAP, and John Raber, Program Coordinator for Circles. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good to be here. No problem. Let's start with you, Megan, and let's talk about SCAP and its mission. Yeah, SCAP's mission is to empower families and engage the community to pursue innovative and effective solutions to break the cycle of poverty. And really what we're designed for, we administer a lot of programs, some pretty traditional anti-poverty programs like homeless shelters and food pantries and weatherization and WIC. But we also feel like it's not just the responsibility of people who are struggling in poverty to figure out how to move out of poverty. It's it's about engaging the community and, and creating a more effective path out of poverty and then so changing systems where they're broken, as well as coming up with effective community solutions that make it easier for families to move out of poverty. Okay. And John, talk about your program, Circles, and what you do. Yeah, so Cir- Circles is facilitated by SCAP. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. A lot of different organizations um, got behind this to, to make it happen. But our focus is addressing the, the, this reality that we all face. So a lot of times we... Uh, you know, we get so busy with life, especially when we're in crisis mode, we're, we're just busy putting out fires. Uh, and sometimes we, we get that feeling where we need to get our head up and breathe for a second, right? So Circles is all about that, creating that time and space in life for community members to think further out, like, where do I really want to be headed? How am I going to get there? Who's going to be my support along the way? All these great questions for any of us who want to be intentional with our life to be asking periodically. We're trying to create that specifically for families who mm-hmm. are struggling to make ends meet mm-hmm. and then plug people into supportive um, relationships, a circle of allies is what we call it. But, okay. uh, allies are, are people who want to encourage and support people along that way and, and at the same time being willing to learn and understand poverty in a new way to, to gain deeper insights on, on how is it really impacting our community, why are people really stuck in poverty, and, and what can we do about it? How can we change our community to be a the kind of place where there's a, a realistic pathway out of poverty. So you bring up an interesting point that I think definitely needs to be addressed, and that is the cycle of poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into that. If we could, we could start talking about what are, what are the cycles of poverty? How are they created, and how do you break them? Sure. I think that first, the biggest thing is to understand really what poverty is in our community. The, you know, the government would say that for a family of three, it's about $20,000. So if you, if you make underneath that, you're living in poverty. And if you make above that, you are not living in poverty. You are uh, stable. But, but that's just not the truth. And so when you sit down with a group of folks, uh, it doesn't matter who you're meeting with. It could be people from the Rotary or, or others. And you ask them what the costs are. You know, you come up with a number that's about fifty-two to fifty-four thousand for a family of three. So, if you sit down and figure out what it costs to meet basic living expenses, and mm-hmm. that's not including student loans, it's not including credit cards, um, no birthdays, no Christmas, just basics. Mm-hmm. It's about fifty-four thousand dollars. Is that a national average? No, that's so. We worked. Those are our local numbers. Yeah, that's we've worked for local f- costs here. Exactly. What, what, what does it cost for housing here? What does it cost for housing plus utilities, transportation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
health care, child care, food. So people at the $20,000 level are in no way making it. Yeah, they're not. And, and, and what, what makes it tough is when you're at $20,000, you are getting some supportive services. So mm-hmm. you're getting food stamps. You might be getting a housing assistance voucher. You're getting some utility assistance. But as you begin to, to work your way out of poverty, um, those things fall away. And you lose those benefits before mm-hmm. you actually can supplement them with your earned income. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes this such a difficult problem. So while there's, you know... And, and the numbers fluctuate from year to year between, you know, 9 and 13, 14% of the folks are living in poverty. We know that at least 25% of families in Franklin County are um, unable to be self-sufficient. And if we look at our free and reduced lunch counts, which are closer to that number, still a little bit under it, it's like 40% of the kids in school are, are coming from families who can't meet basic living expenses. That, that is a staggering number. Startling. Mm-hmm. It is really staggering to me that, you know, that many children, they can't meet this basic... Living expenses. Living expense, yeah, yes. Yeah, it is. And that, this is a part of the... Uh, framework that has to shift. We oftentimes think about poverty as like, how are we going to help those people, those those poor folk? And then we have to really move away from that. You know, one in every four of our families in Franklin County is, is struggling to make ends meet. That This is not a those people problem. This is an us. This is a we That's right. problem. Poverty is a community issue. Mm-hmm. It's something that we all have to be thinking about if we really want to see a healthy, vibrant community. So talk about how people come into the program. Do you go, is it outreach? Do you go to them? Do they come to you? How does it work? Yeah, so it depends. So, you know, if you're homeless and you come to the homeless shelter, you are self-selecting in or you might be referred by another entity. Um, For WIC, we do a lot of outreach. For circles, so support circles, that initiative, people self-select in or families who are involved in circles would tell somebody else about it and say, are you struggling? Do you want to come up with a future story. So it it really varies, but I think there is a pretty good network of families who are struggling that they refer each other to services. Mm -hmm. In fact, we do a consumer satisfaction survey with all of our clients, and the number one way they find us is through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So are you taking, the client comes in Mm -hmm. and they're under financial stress. How does the program actually functionally work? What do you actually do? Um, so what would be important to know is SCAP is a whole bunch of programs in one. So in essence, in Franklin County, we're kind of the one-stop shop. So you can come and you can get support for food, you can get child care subsidy, you can get WIC services, you know, um, other programs that help you. Uh, and so you would come into our office because you had a particular need. And then that program, so if you came into the food pantry and we found out that you needed help with weatherization or you needed help with child care subsidy, we could do a soft handoff and take you to those programs to get the, the assistance. But you should know, many of them have waiting lists. So if you were coming in for child care subsidy, really? long waiting lists. Weatherization has about 600 houses on the waiting list. So I mean, social services are at a kind of maxed level now with uh, cuts in funding that are pretty significant. And well, Go ahead, I'm sorry. All, all these are... D- the, the goal is to design these in a way that it leads towards An people angle. actually getting out of poverty. So weatherization, for example, I don't know if your listeners would know what that is even, but instead of, if somebody's struggling to pay their utility bills, instead of simply, you know, writing a check to help with those, that month's utility bills, this is, this is a, a federal program that SCAP facilitates here that, that instead goes out to that home, identifies why are the the, the heating or cooling bills so high and, and, and works to change that. So it could be sealing windows, it could be uh, insulating, insulating attics, attics mm-hmm. putting in a, another uh, heating system. Um, you know, so for families in circles, for example, where th- that piece, this community group of like thinking further out is really helpful. At the same time, they couldn't, we have families who have had incredible success through that, been recognized across the state for their success. And yet would say things like weatherization they couldn't do without, you know, that they would, their bills would still be so high if weatherization hadn't come in and and changed that situation. It perpetuates their cycle of poverty. Right, exactly. So by doing that, weatherization actually not only does it help low income, 
community members, but it also improves our housing stock in mm-hmm. the community. Mm-hmm. It, it improves uh, the, the asset for that family, for that landlord, depending on, on who owns it. But so it, it's uh, thinking in a way of like, how can we do this that really builds long-term stability? Well, talk about that. How do you do it to build long-term stability? How do you move families from this desperation to stability? Yeah, you know, and it's a combination of things because first you have to have some supportive services, appropriate support for families. But a big part of it is, you know, when you're stuck in crisis, when you're moving from one thing happening to the next, you... And for and all of us are this way, you know. When you are in crisis, you're really not thinking of the future. It's hard to learn new skills, and you have to be much more intentional about it. So, uh, we find that providing protected time and space for folks. So, you know, saying we're meeting every week, and we're going to take care of childcare and dinner, so you can just think about your future, mm-hmm. allows them to create a future story. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, we we say in the social services world that we want families to make their own goals, but that's just really not the way it works. Most social service programs, the funder has established what the goals are for the clients, and you are helping them to figure out that you are right, and they need to modify whatever behavior it is to mm-hmm. accommodate that. But no one changes that way, right? We all change when something is relevant to us. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is if families can develop their own future story, have protected time and space to think about what do they want, how do they want to get there, and then give them time to develop that, they can create a pretty good plan, and then we can wrap some supports around them to help them uh, reach that. And part of when we do that with circles is is community volunteers, so it's allies, it's people who may have no experience or understanding of poverty, but are just there as an emotional support walking alongside someone. Um, And then it educates them on what poverty really looks like. Because again, in Franklin County, it's the working poor. You know, we look at numbers of folks who are on cash assistance, uh, TANF programs, and that's like 400 people in Franklin County. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, you you figure we have 151,000 people, and of that, 400 of them are on TANF cash assistance. And what does TANF stand for? It's temporary assistance to needy families, but it's what we think of as cash welfare. So it's the cash payment. They can spend it any way they choose? They could, yeah. So that $405 that they get per month, that minuscule amount, they could spend Mm -hmm. in almost any way they want. Those are pretty desperate uh, circumstances. Frequently, it's a it's a grandparent who has custody of grandchildren. That's probably the most common case that we see for TANF. Definitely have to have children, so it could be single mom or single dad. Um, but it's a small, you know, it's less than 1% of our population, and that's what we tend to worry about. In Franklin County, it's the working poor and seniors on a fixed income. I mean, when we talked about that it takes 54000 for a family of three to meet basic living expenses, that's 3.6 minimum wage jobs. So wow. even if I have a two-parent family, everybody's working more than one job. And, and that's what we see. What can be done to resolve this uh, childcare issue? Because I would think that would be one of the biggest hindrances to full-time employment for two parents. There's nowhere for the kid to go, you know, in the evening or during the day. Right, because it will cost you $1,200 to pay for childcare. They're running in place, in effect. Yeah, it's a crisis. I mean, there certainly are some things that are going on uh, across the state of Pennsylvania and Franklin County. Uh, Pre-K Counts is a program that takes preschool children, um, and they have some free childcare, so that's helpful. Um, The Early Learning Resource Center, SCAP, administers that program, formerly known as Child Care Information Services. Uh, pays for subsidizes child care costs for working families but again there's a waiting list so Mm -hmm. that's a pretty expensive program when you think about the cost of child care but for a single mom who you know who's making minimum wage she couldn't afford to work if there wasn't assistance right it's keeping them down yeah totally so in terms of your funding where does your funding largely come from so about 70% of our funding comes from the federal government down through the state and then to us uh, so when there's a budget impasse at either the federal or state level, we're hit by both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we get a significant portion from there. We, there's some local dollars, and then we also get donations from community members. Are you financially healthy right now? <sighs> well, I suppose you're never really truly <laughs> financially healthy, but I think you understand my question. Yeah, you know, this uh, 
it's always a struggle in the nonprofit world. Like, you know, these are just lean times. And we've been, when I came in 2005. That's interesting that you say that. I'm going to interrupt mm-hmm. you right sure, there. Because sure. these really aren't lean times. You know? You are, the, you are so right. The they're economy's lean. booming. Yeah. Unemployment is as low as it could be in Franklin County. Yeah, well, they're lean right. times for nonprofits. That's, Which is interesting and yes. not a good sign. Not, no, it's not a good sign. It, when I uh, became the CEO of SCAP in 2005, we were serving 16,000 people, uh, Adams and Franklin counties predominantly, uh, and we had about $12 million is what our revenue was. And today we serve about 32,000 people, so we've doubled the number of wow. clients we serve. And this year we had a significant cut, I'll tell you about that in a second, but on $8 million. So we're serving twice the number of clients with a significant amount less in funding. We had 166 staff at our high. We have 106 now. So they are very lean times. This year, um, the state decided to regionalize the CCIS, the Child Care Information Services Program. And we served Adams, Franklin, and Fulton counties, but they regionalized it, put Adams with York and Lancaster. They put Franklin in with six other counties in the West. And we um, were, were not able to bid on that contract because of the size uh, that our, our line of credit simply wouldn't have been large enough. That took $4 million out of my budget, $400,000 in cash flow every month. Like it's those kind of things that you... And not only does that hurt the organization financially, but that hurts families. Right. Totally. Now, now if you are in Adams County, and you need childcare, you get on a waiting list, you're in the same waiting list, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. you're on the same waiting list as somebody in Lancaster City, mm-hmm. right? So, and same thing, if you're in Franklin County, you're in, on the same waiting list as seven counties all That's to right. this western part of South Central PA. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it creates a problem for families to have right. access to childcare. Yeah, totally. It also ensures the cycle of poverty will stay in place. Right. 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 You got more clients, less money. We know right. which direction this is going. Right. So what are you doing to supplement funding? How, how are you working around this? Yeah. Well, you know, we're having a fundraising banquet in September, which is really exciting. And so, what's the date and time and place? Yep. September 18th uh, in Chambersburg at King Street Church. Okay. Um, and you can get tickets or donate on our website, which is www.sccap.org. Okay. Um, certainly increasing our fundraising, and we cert- we are also, you know, any place that we can cut, we are. We've we've always been pretty administratively thin, but we are thinner. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a tough thing. Yeah. And a lot of the, you know, the things like the SCAP banquet help supplement funding for a lot of these programs that don't have any kind of dedicated funding That's source. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something like WIC. I mean. If the, if the federal government were to decide to no longer do that, there's no way this local community could do what WIC does. Could you describe what WIC does for the listeners? Well, you know, WIC is focused on getting nutritious food to young kids. Okay. So education, pregnant moms. Oh. Pregnant, yeah, starting um, with pregnant moms and working. Good. So their focus is on access to food, healthy food, uh, and education. Mm-hmm. And, right, so this, this community locally, we could never do that without... That kind of federal support. Mm-hmm. If they were to, if you know, if Washington were to change something, we don't have much control over that. But all of these other programs, like homeless shelters, support circles, the Gleaning Project, there, there's a number of these food pantries that there is no, you know, dedicated funding stream. That's right. That we're, we we as a local community are going to either make it happen or we're not. Uh, you know, so there's an opportunity to be a part of making those types of things happen and oftentimes those are the pieces that fill in the gaps Mm -hmm. for families on their way out of poverty tell us more about the gleaning project this is this is interesting yeah yeah gleaning is a really exciting initiative here Um, it actually it stemmed out of uh, the circles efforts so one of the big pieces of what we're trying to do with circles is to to do what we're doing well on a smaller scale as far as the amount of families involved it's not like a lot of families are involved in in, uh, in the group, but then we want to take what we're learning and use that. That's that piece of really saying, okay, how can we all come to the table, regardless of our economic background? We want people there 
who have lived it, who know what it's like to uh, be in poverty and to struggle and make ends meet. We also want people at the table who have a lot of uh, wealth and and resources. Um, you know, so power. Yeah, power is a part of that, right? So, how can we come together and and develop solutions that actually create that realistic pathway? So, gleaning was one of those things. And as families, what were sharing, specifically is the gleaning? Uh, yeah, gleaning. Gleaning is it's it's a it's a biblical concept. It's an old term, but it's this concept of going out in the fields and and rescuing or saving uh, produce that otherwise would go to waste. Right. So going out and gleaning in the fields in our area. You know, if you if you think about Franklin County, uh, this is a huge resource for us. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody in outer space would ever look at planet Earth and pick. Franklin County as a place where hunger would exist, mm-hmm. and yet it does. We have a, we have people who are very hungry. We have people who don't eat so their kids can eat. We have kids who the only meals they get are at schools. So is this restaurants, grocery stores, farms? Primarily farms. Okay. Uh, there are you know even even home gardeners will will get involved with cleaning. But then there's volunteers. They had, this past year they had over a thousand volunteers going out to glean, uh, rescued three hundred. Thousand pounds of, of produce, wow. and yeah. farmers would say, "I mean, we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg as far as the amount of food that is out there." Franklin County is the second highest producing county in the state of fresh fruits and vegetables. Really, you know, this is a huge resource yeah. for us, and so we want to leverage that and use that so that people have access to it. Uh, and what we eat obviously has a, a lot of impact on our ability to function in life, right? So. Before gleaning, and just traditionally in food pantries, it's oftentimes food that is meant for good shelf life, mm-hmm. which is not oftentimes good for our bodies, right? right so right. high in carbs, very know, processed. It contributes yeah. to these things that are very, um, you know, they play a lot into that cycle of poverty piece that we were talking about. You know, high blood pressure, obesity, mm-hmm. diabetes, all these things that contribute to ending up being stuck in poverty. And how do you? How important is stressing nutrition to your clients? Because as you're discussing, it is the harbinger of a lot of either good things or bad things. Well, I think it's not. Uh, it's so stressing nutrition is important, but it's access to nutritious foods. Mm-hmm. That's really the critical part. You know, we we kind of make the assumption that, you know, if people don't have money, they don't know how to to make fresh fruits and vegetables. And and we've had that, a lot of people will say that to us, but we do an, an eater survey, so folks who are getting free produce to find out what's important to them, and it's clearly access. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of our folks uh, will teach other people how to can or how to preserve. Uh, they're very skilled. Our families frequently know how to budget far better than we in the middle class do because they have to. Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's important to get access mm-hmm. to fresh fruits and vegetables, to think to food that's nutritious, because otherwise what, we're, what we tend to give folks who don't have anything is, again, processed food and things that are high in carbohydrates. And, and I think something that's really important to know uh, about gleaning First, you know, we said 300,000 pounds of produce, which is just mind-blowing. Staggering. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. We work with less than 10% of producers. Mm-hmm. So 10% of farmers, and we're able to get 300,000 pounds of produce. Mm-hmm. There are solutions that exist when it comes to anti-poverty work that we haven't thought of. Uh, gleaning is an example of that. You know, we had a group of families who were sharing their stories. Again, it's about bringing everybody to the table. And so those families were talking about food insecurity and what it's like. You know, if you have a food allergy or you have a medical condition and you go to a food pantry where all you get are carbohydrates and you're diabetic, that doesn't work well. Or, or what it's like to get a raise and lose all your food stamps. And access to and food pantries. Let's do talk about that because I think this is one of the trickiest things that would need to be maneuvered through. Sure. So how do you help people make that transition? Because, you know, they're probably looking at that and saying, you know, that support that comes every month, it's getting me through. This raise may not. Right. Well, first we we help them identify when that's going to happen because that doesn't happen with most benefits. You don't get, no one says if you take that 25 cent raise, you're going to lose $300 worth of food. Like that just doesn't happen. So, you know, we, we work with families to identify where they lose benefits. And then we help provide some of that space to think about what are we going to do? And then we look to create community solutions. I mean, right. Education is a powerful thing. So even just knowing 
when like financially what is going to happen to my assistance based on this increase in income and then a person can make choices mm -hmm. that really do actually benefit the family they know their family better than any of us they they know their needs better than any of us mm -hmm. and that's part of that switch that we push for and we want to see continue to happen where we really value the input from the family that we are serving or working with and that just it doesn't happen like nobody in you know nobody providing assistance walks somebody through that to be able to analyze it like that um, and then people internalize it as if it's them so you know they're working hard getting a raise that should be improving their life their life gets worse right and they're internalizing it as if they're not doing enough right. like it's terrible it, it builds that sense of hopelessness and that thought that i my life will never get any better right well probably the some of what i've seen the worst side of what poverty does is it kills that hope mm -hmm. right it kills opportunity you know poverty oftentimes eliminates totally. opportunity for people uh, an example of that a lady in circles right now um, you know she's in order to get to work every day is paying for a taxi to do that well that's you know it's like nine dollars to get there nine dollars back you, you add that up and she's she's spending like three hundred and sixty dollars a month on her transportation it's a car payment she could have that's a car right but she doesn't have access to it she doesn't so, have access to credit or right mm -hmm. right now and, can you help in that area like you've got this let's say this woman's established a solid track record of work are you able to help them kind of enter the financial world and because isn't that where real stability would kind of start to take hold it, it is i mean circles has a small loan fund but it's not significant. So it could be enough that somebody could use it for a down payment to get a car. But mm -hmm. that's, again, you know, if her credit would be able to support it. Which is another whole issue. Right. That's we, the thing that makes it so so difficult is these issues are so complex. They and, are multifaceted. And this is why we need people to come to the table. You know, we, we're not going to become a bank. Um, we, we do this revolving loan fund that Megan is talking about in, in a way that it helps a few people. And it helps kind of re eliminate some of those speed bumps that somebody might come up against. Mm -hmm. But really, we want, you know, to see an actual change. We would need to see banking systems change where, you know, access to capital is something that can exist for. And steer clear of the payday lenders. With right. The right. Exactly. Rates and yeah, exactly. So, right. This lady would make a great candidate for a loan to, you know, she'd be able to pay that back. Yeah. Um, but. No one's going to give That's not money. the kind of loan that is out there. Yeah, it's a pernicious system. It is. You know, it's, it, the poor, the systems around them seem designed to keep them poor. Right. To just bleed them out until there's nothing left. That's right. Let's talk about some success stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. Share with us some of the good things that have happened and some of the people you've worked with. Sure. Well, we, um, so we celebrate every year kind of the, some examples of families who've become self-sufficient or who have... Uh, been able to make that transition. We have a couple families this year who are going to be honored both at our banquet. Uh, it's called the Rising Phoenix Award, and families chose that name. Okay. They said it really is like coming up out of the ashes. Um, and two of those families have been, uh, we nominated them to the state of Pennsylvania, and they were actually accepted to win a self-sufficiency award in Pennsylvania. They're like two families out of, I don't know, 21, which is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. But uh, Virginia and Mike, were homeless a number of years ago and they just bought their first house oh, wow. so like the transition is pretty amazing yeah. and being able to see that and see the accomplishments and see how well you know their son is in college on the dean's list and their daughter is starting a new business and their other daughter gives back through the volunteer fire department we, what we find i mean families give a lot and the more they have time to build their own plans, we find that they are sharing and inspiring other people. So sure. it's really exciting. There's somebody to look up to. That's right. Yeah, it gives hope, right? So mm -hmm. just by having those stories told and, and shared and looking for opportunities to do that, it, it helps create this synergy that, wow, maybe I can actually do this. Mm -hmm. How did they climb out? I mean, what, what did they do without you know, getting into too much detail just to understand what what was their pathway out of poverty? Yeah, I mean it was it was incremental. Um, so you know moved, were so you know had a job. Their house that they were renting got sold. They moved into a shelter, moved into transitional housing, and then just kind of survived in this 
you know, not under the poverty level, but not meeting basic living expenses. And that's a lot of, yeah, a lot of people who come to circles are in that place. And then when Virginia came, she just started creating a plan, uh, what they wanted to do. And then it just seems that once people are, you know, they've been able to slow down, create their plan, and then figure out how they want to make it work, wrapping them again with supportive allies. Uh, Some of the allies had some experience with buying a house and so as they progressed and worked on improving their credit worked on thinking about how are they going to move forward as they were thinking about how are they going to get their son in college like all of those pieces but they had some help and support um, and were able to make it you know Mike got a better job he got a promotion and, and things like gleaning played into that you know this is a lady that's who, right I mean she canned 300 quarts of food, so wow. no, knowing that the winter is tough because when that oil bill comes to heat our house, yeah. um, we're not able to do it. Okay, let's let's uh, let's stock up on food because yeah. we can we can stock up on that. Right. And it's it's something that she's very skilled at. And and, and then Camille, who is another family in the group, teaches everyone how to coupon really really well. <laughs> like so, they're sharing skills and pieces and being intentional in those process so mm-hmm. they can move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Christina is a, another self-sufficiency award winner who is going to be honored in, um, at our Adams County Banquet, and she had been in and out of prison and rehab 11 times. She's someone you would have given up on. Yeah. Like, she, you know, in our heads, we make these assumptions that someone can't be fixed. Right. Um, she actually had her last baby in jail and determined she was going to stay clean. Not that it had worked before, but... You know, it gave her the fortitude to do it, and she got out. She tried to stay clean. She got a job, enrolled in college, big, huge jumps. And she said when I was interviewing her about the award, she talked about the importance of she came in for child care subsidy, so uh, not, not like circles. Like, this is a pretty traditional program. But she said the staff person, Marcy, who worked with her, she said it was like she saw the woman and mother I was trying to become. Oh, fantastic. And supported it. And that's it. I think, you know, we sometimes can reflect back to people that they are only what they came in for services for, mm-hmm. you know, and see just the deficits. And and I think that... Yeah. We're, sorry. We're yeah. very we're very deficiency-oriented totally. model, right? We, we In order for you to get any kind of help, you have to prove to us how deficient you are. That's right? right. And then we just reflect that back to people, never taking the time to, to look at what, what is this person's are. strengths and gifts and abilities and how, how can we call that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar, no, another self-sufficiency award winner this previous year in 2017, um, put, it, put it, I thought, in a, in a, in a very good way. She said, you, you know, what's captive, you guys saw the potential in me before I could even see it in myself. Mm-hmm. That's sure. it. That, that's the kind of stuff we want to be about. We wanna, that's right. Because sometimes when you're in the trenches, it's really hard, that's understandably. Right. I don't think, I think all of us would be this way with the, the, the types of things that people are experiencing. It is so hard to see the potential when you've been beat down so right. often. And it's something any of us can fix. Like you can reflect back to people. You can see their greatness and reflect mm-hmm. it back. I mean, for Christina, she got her bachelor's degree. She opened Open Arms Recovery Center. She's now getting her master's degree. Like, she's doing great work. And again, she's somebody that we would have written off. But anyone, you know, when we are at McDonald's seeing the worker who's there and we make assumptions about people based on those jobs, we can take times to reflect back to people their importance. It's an easy thing to do. It doesn't start with, it's easy to look back on it. Like, oh, this person won the self-sufficiency award or the... The Rising Phoenix Award, like that, those are. Then it becomes easy to look at it, mm-hmm. but it starts way beyond that. It starts when, you know, I have somebody come into my office who is in their pajamas because they're they're so they're feeling so hopeless that even getting out of bed has been hard. Right. Um, you know, at a, at a point of being suicidal, and it's starting to ask questions about like how you know how are you providing for your kids? How, you know, she's on food stamps, which the average food stamp recipient is receiving. $170 a month for how many correct? yeah it's for 106 per per an individual a household it's about 230 and that's usually a household of 2.45 which 2. boils 5, down to what per under $4 per day, per day per person so I'm asking her you know how, how are you making that work yeah. I don't know how I do that for my family right. and yeah. she's telling me all these different 
tactics she uses and to be able to see that and identify that and go like wow you're really creative yeah. that's amazing what you're that's doing right. is a very different conversation than what people are accustomed to experiencing in the in the human service field um, to, to have people identifying those skills and strengths and and saying wow that we need that you're amazing right. is, a, is a game changer for a mm-hmm. lot of people because we do need that we yeah. need families at the table they they understand poverty far more than we do and how important is that for the the counselors to have been in their position at some point yeah i mean it's great if they have been in their position um that doesn't always happen but they have to be able to see past their own circumstances mm-hmm. to the circumstances of someone mm-hmm. else. You, you have to be able to see and hear and understand um, and, again, reflect back to them that they're more than what brought them in our door. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. Yeah, this is Jeremy. You, you guys still you do uh, poverty simulations, we do, don't you, yeah. you offer that? Speaking of how mm-hmm. you know, counselors can be uh, more empathetic to people's situations. That's right. How are those offered? Yeah, those they're great. So it's experiential learning. So a poverty sim, you would come in and you would be assigned the role of someone who's living typically above the poverty level, but below being able to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And so for an hour, they assume that role. They have four 15-minute weeks and um, a couple of weekends. And most of the staff who are or volunteers who are kind of running the table, whether it's the employer or the county assistance office, are families who've lived poverty. And so... You know, when you go to apply for assistance, you're going to get treated the way that they've been treated in their life. And it's amazing because in that one hour, people leave feeling the stress that families mm-hmm. in poverty uh, experience every day. And, and when we reflect on it, we get some really good feedback from folks that they, sure. they had no idea how hard it was and how much you had to think about all of the actions. And you're building taking. empathy. That's right, yeah. So what are some of the myths that you can dispel about poverty? that families don't budget, that they can't, that they can't maintain a budget. I mean, it was funny when I first uh, started doing some of this work, you would think, oh, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to show someone how to budget. No, frequently they budget far better than I do because they have to. Yeah, that's one of those things that most people assume that's what Circles is, is that on on Thursday evenings at our weekly gathering that that we're doing budgeting together. And that's very rare. I mean, it is important and we do talk about that and we do work at equipping people with that. Mm -hmm. But... People know, I mean, for one, it's not very helpful to sit around and talk about where all that money is going that I don't actually have. Right. Uh, But, you know, it also is like people know where every penny and dime is going. Um, And sure, I mean, we still do that piece because just like anybody, you know, plenty of people in our middle class, same thing. We need need to build our skills at being wise. We just have buffers. We have credit cards. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. another <laughs> I think another myth is that folks aren't working. They're working. I think that's one of the biggest ones, yeah. that they're lazy right. and they don't want to get up and work when that's not the case. Yeah, no, that's not the case. Oh, I, I, the credit card comment is related to that as well. P- people assume that people have poor credit because they're out spending all this money on credit cards. That's more of a middle class problem. <laughs> we, we generally, people have poor credit because of, of health, uh, health, because expenses. of medical bills. Yep. Um, so that, that's a big. Piece. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, it is. I can't believe I missed that. But uh, how do how do you address that? Because even for middle class, middle upper class, healthcare is a big bill. Right. And if something goes wrong, it can become a catastrophic bill. Right. How do you help them with these issues? Say someone comes to you and they have conditions diabetes, what have you, how, how are you able to assist them to get them healthy so they can begin that right. path? Yeah, I mean, first we try and refer them like to uh, Keystone. So we want to try and get them into uh, one of the federally qualified health centers because that helps them get uh, ongoing care. So using an emergency room, not only is it expensive, but you're only getting periodic care. Um, and then things like leaning. So if we can get you hooked up with you know, fresh fruits and vegetables get you access to those things that certainly helps. Mm-hmm. Um, slowing someone down enough to think about their future story because then, it, I mean, the issue with something like diabetes is it's a future, 
like the implications of uncontrolled diabetes is future, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, not right now. Right, exactly, which so many things are. And if I am only focused on now, then that doesn't even matter until mm-hmm. it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. So when we slow folks down, when we provide that protected time and space, and that's what I mean when I say slow them down, just give them some time and space to think about their future, we find that health suddenly matters. Mm-hmm. And so a number of folks in circles, a number of folks that um, have thought about their future story have lost weight, have, are working Fantastic. on health-related issues. Yeah, it, it's the same as all of us. When we have some time and space to think about our own self, to be, that, to be reflective in that way, we do better. This concept you've repeatedly brought up, giving them time and space, time it and sounds space. like it's really central to yes. success. And this yeah. idea that, I think I understand, tell me if I'm wrong, but you're allowing them to slow down and maybe separate problems. You know? Yeah, where, when, when can I put the pause button on life? Because all these crises are constantly happening. Mm-hmm. And it's not to ignore those. We still want to help brainstorm and process and refer for the immediate needs as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when can I find that time in life to just, like, breathe for a second and, and let the, the crisis of today fade away a little bit so I can think mm-hmm. a year down the road, six months down the road? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how, how can I have that in my life when everything is just flying at me you know when I'm just trying to figure out how to get my kids food this weekend right um, when I'm just trying to figure out where I'm gonna find that apartment because I'm gonna be evicted soon or I'm in the homeless shelter and I only have a few days left till I can't have to be leaving or in all kinds of scenarios right but it's oftentimes it's coming at people very fast with limited resources to even deal with that mm-hmm. i think most all of us we would be very overwhelmed if, sure. if we were put into even without those stressors that's, we become right. overwhelmed that's, a, that's exactly right and for all of us it's that time to be reflective bobby is um a gentleman who uh, amazing gentleman who we worked with but he'd been in and out of prison for about 19 years and we do an experience where you're just brainstorming so you know you're just have a bunch of circles on a paper and you're thinking of different options for what you want to do and he he won a self-sufficiency award last year Mm -hmm. and he was talking about it he said you know when we when I learned that we could brainstorm that there were other options Mm -hmm. and he talked about how life-changing that was and again it was just a matter of slowing down Um, and and you can't for most of the families we're working with it's really hard in their day-to-day life to be able to slow down because things are happening so quick but you know, when they come, we have dinner for them. They have childcare, so the space is theirs. So right. that hour and a half, you know, we can get into some routine of this is your space to and, figure it and out. And while all the crises are, are coming at us really fast, mm-hmm. the change we want to see is, ta- is, is going really slow. You know, yeah. <laughs> buying a home. Well, that's going to be a really long, slow process, right? right? Yes. So how, how to even cope with that and have right. that support along the way of like, all right, yes, all this... This, these difficulties are coming at us really fast. What I really want out there in life, it just seems like it's, we're barely moving towards that. So how can we use that time to make incremental steps towards that? Mm-hmm. And some of that is even just celebrating somebody else's success. Right. Like, wow, th- that, this person you know, uh, found an apartment and got out of the shelter. Maybe I could too. Mm-hmm. Um, now you guys offer recovery services. I'm assuming that is related to drug and alcohol addiction. It is, and we actually partner, so um, Franklin County Government and Pennsylvania Counseling, mm-hmm. uh, actually we're in partnership with them, and they provide a certified recovery specialist oh, who's, in our, who's in our office. Mm-hmm. And that's somebody with lived experience who can help someone in the early stages of recovery. Mm-hmm. And what makes it nice to have them with us at SCAP is that you know when a client comes in, uh, maybe they're in our Work Ready program, or maybe they're at the homeless shelter and they're dealing with addiction. And they can, um, we can bring Darren over and he can talk to them and help them figure out, you know, what do I need to do? Do I need to, uh, am I just someone who needs to be going to meetings? Do I need to be going to, re- to um, rehab? What needs to happen? Mm-hmm. And because he has lived experience, he's really good and relates really well it's to the It's important in, in the recovery yeah. world yeah. for them to have that yeah. lived experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is, what proportion, I would you say, or I, I guess a different question is, are you seeing the effects of the op- opioid uh, crisis? Yeah, we, we definitely are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's certainly an impact, although I would say that it's, it's an impact across the board. So right. I think that's another myth 
that exists is that, is that everybody in poverty, you know, is dealing with addiction. And mm-hmm. uh, that's certainly not the case. Again, mm-hmm. in Franklin County, it's uh, the working poor. So it's families who are low wage earners and seniors on a fixed income. But we are certainly feeling the effects um, of the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, any other issues you want to address or anything else you want us to discuss? Uh, I would like to have you repeat the, uh, the event you're having. So sure. everyone Thank has um, that. Thank you. Yep. So we're having a fundraising banquet. It's September 18th. Um, six o'clock at King Street Church. You do need to reserve tickets. Okay. You could do that on our website at www.scapsccap.org. And you know, if you happen to be listening to this and the banquet's already over, you can always go to our website and make a donation. Um, all donations stay local. They help local families. It's an investment in building thriving families and a vibrant community. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, maybe you don't want to give to SCAP. That's okay. Give somewhere, volunteer somewhere. I mean, the difference that it can make is monumental. You mentioned bringing people to the table. Yes. Wealthy people, maybe middle yes. class people. How would someone get involved in that? They, they would call us. <laughs> Just call Just us. Call us. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's, a, there's such a wide range of opportunity to be involved at SCAP in lots of different roles, lots of different mm-hmm. skill sets and experiences that people have that mm-hmm. are so applicable. When, when we look at the bigger picture, how do we change the community so there's a more realistic pathway out of poverty? A lot of that has to do with people who are experts in their own field right. getting close enough to the issue to realize and understand how it has some bearing on, on poverty, mm-hmm. right? So we don't even know what those, we don't know what the Potential next gleaning solution. project yeah. could be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as, as people in the ag world got close enough to the issues and we're hearing family stories, they're the ones who became inspired to figure out how to do gleaning. That's right. And uh, so, you know, I think that oftentimes is the case. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the sphere of society or sector in, in our community it might be, we need. that's why we need to have lots of people at the table mm-hmm. um, to figure out there's a lot of different pieces, uh, a lot of different reasons why somebody would be caught or stuck right. in poverty. It's going to be different for different people, but mm-hmm. there are... You know, there are these consistent things. Sure. And so when we have people at the table, it can actually address that. So lots of different ways people can get involved. That's one of the nice things about an organization like SCAP is that not only does it serve a family better in a more holistic way, it also creates a lot, uh, a lot of uh, synergy behind people who aren't living it mm-hmm. also getting involved and also engaging in, you know, in the issues that right that bringing they, their they expertise care about. Yeah. that's right mm-hmm. exactly so yeah. we would you know we'd sit down and meet with people and talk about why they'd want to get involved what what their interests are and, and try to find a role that really meets their needs mm-hmm. just as much as it meets our our client needs sure. i bet you guys could use some help um distributing 300,000 pounds of produce. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah. We call them food movers. And yep, yeah. we, we definitely, because we work with 42 partner agencies or entities because it's all about, you know, when you have fresh produce, you need to get it out quickly. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, whether it's harvesting or uh, distributing or, mm-hmm. yeah, we could. We work with 2,000 volunteers across the organization. There's something for anyone. Sure. I, I got to ask this question. Sure. Your empathy levels. Going into this situation you know, five days a week. I mean, it, does it get, there's an impact on it or are you able to maintain that high level of empathy hearing these stories over and over? Yeah, you know, we both are really purposeful in walking alongside families. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes a difference. Sure. So when yeah. you, um, and, and there are boundaries you don't cross. I'm certainly not saying you don't cross this, but when you take off the professional hat and just walk alongside a family who's mm-hmm. trying to work their way out of poverty, it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that piece, um, at least for me, that keeps me focused on what's important, and that's always about the families we serve. And, and just as a point of interest, we've worked so much on making sure the culture supports that in our consumer Satisfaction surveys, 99.56%. So almost 100% of the clients we serve say we treat them with respect, even if we can't uh, help them. And this is the third year that we've been able to maintain that level. It's great. Do you have long-term tracking to see how families are doing over time? Or? We, we do, yeah. So across mm-hmm. all of our programs, we have uh, outcome measurements that we track. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And how's, how's it looking? I mean, how, how's the program working? 
So the outcomes are different for every program. Sure. Um, so circles meets holistic goals. So you're, if you were looking for individuals who are moving completely out of poverty, circles would be that program. Mm-hmm. And we see significant numbers. We see about a 33% increase in earned income the first year someone's in wow. circles. Um, which again is really great, but it could put them in a more difficult circumstance. Right. Um, you know, but the measurements vary. So, you know, 70% of the moms that we serve in our WIC program breastfeed their kids. That's a great statistic mm-hmm. and gives yeah. babies a, a new start. So the programs are pretty varied, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but we see great success across them. And mm-hmm. we really try to not only um, meet what the funders goals are, but to exceed them and figure out how do we get the best outcome for that family mm-hmm. we can get. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to celebrate. There's a lot right. there's a lot of really amazing Great things stuff. that people are doing in spite of it being a very lean time as well. <laughs> so yeah. uh, which is part of why we you know we we do things like the banquet to get out there and really um, help the community understand sure. what is going on and let's get behind this. Let's invest in a stronger community. You know, That's there's right. a, we're seeing a really good return on that investment and we want to see that continue to grow and it's great um, is the labor market any hindrance to upward mobility in franklin county yes i mean if you think about the fact that you need fifty four thousand dollars for a family of three to make it mm-hmm. it's a struggle it's it is what it is what it is so we have to figure out how to work around that and so uh but yeah, we need more jobs that have career ladders. We yes, have, exactly. Right, you know, we've talked a lot about trying to figure out how to get apprenticeships going mm-hmm. so that we get more folks into some of the trade jobs that are mm-hmm. certainly United Way. I mean, there are a number of groups that are working on those things. We're fortunate that we live in a community where nonprofits and county government and economic development are trying to work together to figure out how do we get the best outcomes, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a question? Nope. All right. Well, I want to thank you both so much for being here. Uh, more importantly, I want to thank you for what you're doing out there. Thank you. Uh, you're Thanks changing lives us. in a big way, and not everybody's up to the task. So thank you very much, and it was a great show, and we'd love to have you back sometime. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Thanks. It's a pleasure. Thanks. And before we go, a couple of uh, announcements, our upcoming events. Um, well, next week on the Progress Pod, we have Brent Ottaway. He's going to be with us. He's the uh, Democratic candidate for the new uh, 13th Congressional 13th District. District. So we're looking forward to talking to him. Uh, look for that sometime next week. And also, September 8th is the next Common Grounds gathering uh, put on by the Franklin County Coalition for Progress. That's held at the Coyle Free Library in the Conservatory. And the guest will be Kenny Wurtenberg, who we've had on the show before. He'll be talking, or actually he'll be conducting a suicide prevention training. September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So again, that's September 8th. That's from 10 until noon at the library. Free coffee is provided. And again, you guys have your fundraiser coming up September 18th. Exactly, uh, yeah, thank you. All right, and um, I guess that's all. Check out the Progress Pod at progresspod.org. Email us at progresspod at gmail.com. And find us on Twitter at the Progress Pod. Best Twitter feed out there. Uh, the best. Thank you all. all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.